You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. For the director of music with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. You may be seated. Now, one thing I want to make clear to you at the beginning of my message is that there is no way that I am going to compare or even attempt to compare my life to that of Job. Uh, His life and experiences were unique to him alone in Scripture, and I don't think anyone could ever compare their life to his. However, as many of you may be familiar with, that since the beginning of this year, it seems that Terry and I and our family have been confronted with and challenged by a set of trials and troubles. It all started in the first week of January when I had my emergency surgery. And then three weeks later, Terry slipped and fractured her kneecap. And then a month after that, my sister calls to inform us that my niece was in the hospital on life support. And then, the most discouraging news was, our son-in-law EJ's diagnosis of ALS. And then as I started preparing for this message, we were away in Florida, and Terry had had an accident which resulted in her hip fracture, which required hospitalization and surgery 1,000 miles from home. As I said before, though these types of events do not begin to approach the scale of what Job experienced, I have to be frank and say that they can exact a toll on someone. So perhaps maybe it results in moments of self-pity. Why am I going through this? Or maybe you start considering what it is that you might have done wrong that would be causing these things to happen. And perhaps even in those lowest moments, perhaps you begin to consider that God may have turned his back on you. So this question comes to mind. As a Christian, we should be asking, what does the Bible say about responding and reacting to such events? For we know that the Bible holds all that we need to know in order to complete our pilgrimage in this life. 
So what examples might scripture contain to help us in rough times that may seem to go on and on? When my niece uh, was first on life support, I had made trips to Massachusetts to sit with my sister in the hospital. On one of these visits, my sister asked if I would be willing to share some scripture and say a prayer. So I was anticipating that she might make this request. So I had previously gone and read through some potential readings. And ultimately, the reading that I went with on that day was a scripture reading from this morning. At the hospital that day, I prefaced the reading with some comments on the life of the author, King David, and some application for my sister and my other niece who were present that they could take from the psalm. And so what I would like to do this morning is to be able to expand on what this psalm has to tell us about dealing with adversity. Now, many of you in your Bibles probably have a heading for Psalm 61, and it probably states something along the lines of, for the director of music with stringed instruments of David. So this heading actually gives us some background information on this psalm. First, that the authorship is attributed to King David. Secondly, is that this psalm was intended to be sung by the congregation during times of worship in the nation of Israel. Now, many people, speaking of the author, many people, whether they are Christians or not, probably have some knowledge of David. So for those who are outside of the church, he's the guy that took down that giant Goliath with a slingshot. For those who are of the Jewish faith, he is the revered king of Israel. And for Christians, he is one of the greater known figures of the Old Testament. He serves us as a foreshadowing figure or a type of Jesus Christ. There is a common saying about David among Christians, and I'm going to start it and I want to see if you can finish it for me. King David was known as a man whose heart passionate after God. Thank you. David has a captivating story to his life. He had his encounter with Goliath. He had his anointing by God as the future king of Israel. He had many accomplishments as king, and his prowess as a military officer was great. But he also serves an example for us. I mean, he has quite an impressive resume, wouldn't you say? But even a great man such as David according to this psalm, is subject to trials and troubles. And so if David was subject to such things, it should not surprise us that we also are subject to such trials and troubles. Psalm 61 is a song that begins with a sad heart, but concludes with an air of pleasantness. It begins with prayers and tears, but ends with songs a praise. One common conclusion among many Bible commentators and theologians is that this psalm was penned by David at a time when he had been driven out of Jerusalem and was banished from Jerusalem. There are many that believe that this time was during the time of his banishment by his own son Absalom. And one of the reasons that uh, people believe that this would be the specific incident is because in verse 6, we have David referencing to himself as the king. 
But in this psalm, we see that David resolves himself to persevere in his duty. He would appear to be encouraged to do so both by his experiences and by his expectations. David calls upon God because God had protected him and because God had provided for him as well. He will continue to praise God in these times because he has an assurance of God's continuing favor upon him. In verse 1, we see that David adheres to and seeks his God by prayer in this day of distress and trouble for him. He reaches out to God and entreats God to hear his cry. Further, David implores of God that God would listen to his prayers, not just to hear David's cry, but to listen to his prayers. It seems to me that it's understood that there is more involved in listening than is involved in just hearing something. Verse 2 has David making reference to him calling out to God from the ends of the earth. A couple of observations here. First, who is David calling out to? It is none other than the one true God who alone can hear prayers such as this and act upon them. This David will do in spite of his distance from the sanctuary that he has been banished from, the tabernacle. Consider that because he has been banished, David is unable to seek out God in the sanctuary that has been established as the house of prayer. One point for us to consider is that if we find ourselves, like David, in being removed to somewhat remote and obscure places, we can also, like David, have liberty of access to God. There is a way open for us to access the throne of grace, so that what separates us from our comforts in life should drive us much nearer to God, who is the fountain of all comfort. Verse 2 also shows us that David has called out to God, notwithstanding the state of dejection and the state of dependency that he finds his spirit to be in. Though his heart is overwhelmed, it has not sunk a burden that it cannot be lifted up to God in prayer. David knows that because his heart is burdened, that he needs to cry out to God in prayer, because it is God alone who can deal with such a burden. In the Epistle of James, in chapter 5, verse 13, we are told, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. David exhibits the principle that weeping must not deaden prayer, but it must quicken prayer. And then, what is the petition that David, in his overwhelmed state of heart, presents to God? He asks, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, to the rock that is too high for me to get up unless you, God, help me to it. David recognizes that he cannot on his own gain any assurance and satisfaction of his safety, but it is to be obtained by a special grace that his faith has provided for him. David knows that God's power and promise are the rock that is higher than he, that rock which, if he is placed upon it, will provide shelter from his troubles and bring peace to his heart. And for us today, that rock is Jesus Christ. Those who are in Jesus Christ are safe. 
And we cannot get upon this rock unless we are led there by the working of God's power. And it is by faith and prayer that we can put ourselves under God's divine management and under his divine protection. David has a desire, and he has an expectation of an answer of peace from God. This is what he begs for in faith in verse 1, where he asks, Hear my, God, or hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. David's expectation of this peace from God is based on what he has experienced before in his life. In verse 3, he proclaims that God has been his refuge. David has had the past experience of benefiting from his trusting in God. He uses that experience to move him to strive to keep closer to God. And may that be an encouragement for us, that to hope in God's peace, knowing that such hope is not in vain. And David, in verse 3, paraphrases Proverbs 18.10, which reads, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. For he says in verse 3, You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. David confirms that God's name is as much a refuge to him at the time of this writing as it has been in his past, especially in his past successes. Verse 4 reveals to us that David is showing a resolve to continue in the way of duty to God and to continue in his dependence upon God. The service to God is his constant work in business. David knows that this must be the case in order for him to expect to find in God his shelter and strong tower. David longs to live in the tent or tabernacle of God forever. David, because of his present banishment, is grieved because he cannot have access to the tabernacle. But he is assured that God, by his providence, will bring David back to the tabernacle of God. And David knows that it is by the grace of God that he, David, would have such a desire. In Psalm 27, David had also written that there is one thing he had desired of the Lord. There is one thing that David will seek, that David might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And David, it would seem, is also making a reference to the symbolic nature of this tabernacle. That this tabernacle that he refers to was a type or figure of heaven. That there is an eternal heavenly aspect to the tabernacle of God. And for us, that perfect heavenly tabernacle is grounded in Jesus Christ. In the epistles to the Hebrews, the ninth chapter speaks of this relationship of this tabernacle and Christ. So please listen as I read from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 8, 9, and 24. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic. For the present time, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect, in regard to the conscience. And then verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So those that dwell in God's tabernacle while on this earth shall live in the heavenly tabernacle, which is the house of glory, for an endless 
ever. David concludes verse 4 with an affirmation that he shall trust in the refuge of and the shelter of God's wings, that the grace of God shall be his constant comfort. In verse 5, we can see David looking back in time and recounting what God has done for him. This also seems to be something that David did with a measure of pleasure. For you, O God, have heard my vows. Those vows that David made, those vows that David had bound his soul with, those were the vows that God had taken notice of and had accepted them. Those vows that David made in sincerity were found to be pleasing to God, who had been mindful of them. And further, it appears that God has also made David aware of God's acceptance of these vows. We can find another example of God making someone mindful and aware of the fact that God had heard their vows by reading in Genesis chapter 31. There God says to Jacob in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. I think that here it would be good to note that God is a witness to all of our vows. He is a witness to all our good purposes. He is a witness to all our promises of new obedience. God does keep an accounting of such things. For this reason, David performed those vows he made to God. And for the same reason, we ourselves should likewise perform those vows that we have made to God. Further, there is an acknowledgement by David that those prayers he offered up, along with his own vows, have been graciously heard and answered by God. This is perhaps what David causes David to begin the psalm with a prayer, Hear my cry, O God. Additionally, David acknowledges that he has also received from God the heritage of those that fear the name of God. So to me, this indicates that there is a peculiar set or a specific set of people in this world that fear God's name. They fear God's name with holy awe and reverence, and they then accommodate themselves to this fear of God's name. Further, this specific set of people have a peculiar or specific heritage. This heritage is that God himself is their inheritance. God himself is their portion now and forevermore. This heritage presents this people with comforts in their present lives and provides them with earnest hopes for their future. That heritage is something that David obviously appreciated and could be said had been his heart's desire. Now, would it not also be in our best interest to desire that we should also desire this heritage of those that fear the name of the Lord? Verse 6 shows David looking forward to the continuation of his life, and he does this with an assurance of God's continued providence and coverage. It is irregardless of when specifically in David's life that he may have written the psalm. That is because the circumstances are apparent. There were those, perhaps Absalom, perhaps somebody else, there were those whose aim it was was to shorten David's life. In David's petition to God to prolong his life, David phrases it to be able to live his years for many generations. Now, there are some that would take this to mean that David is looking to prolong his lifespan for several generations. 
but there are many Bible commentators who consider that request in this following way. That a man who lived his life to the age of a man, as set by Moses, lived for approximately 70 years. And the man who spent his life serving his generation, according to the will of God, could be reckoned as to serving many of the following generations. That is, because the type of service that they offered would benefit those generations that followed his lifespan. Further, as mentioned before, David served as a type or a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah. This verse also serves as a reference to the coming Christ. As God had maintained the nation of Israel as one nation under one head, so does Christ rule over his church under one head. Isaiah in his time proclaimed, Who shall declare his generation or age? This was a foretelling or a prediction of the survival of the church through all ages, in spite of the non-ceasing danger that it has been exposed to through its enemies. So here, it is believed, David foretells the uninterrupted succession of the kingdom down to the time of Christ. Earlier in this psalm, David had resolved to live in God's tent or tabernacle forever as a duty of his. Now in this verse, we see that his hope is to abide before God forever as a comfort to him. One additional observation on this verse. Throughout the psalm, David uses the first person to refer to himself. I, my, me. But in verses 6 and 7, David uses the third person pronouns. He, his, him. There have been a couple of explanations for this. One is that this psalm was for the director of music. This indicated that this psalm was intended for the people to sing in worship. This intent was so that as people sang the psalm, they would be encouraged with an assurance that their king should live forever. Another explanation is that David was again referencing the Messiah, that David received comfort that whatever happened to him, the years of the Lord's anointed would be for many generations. Of the increase of his government in peace, there would be no end. The Messiah, Christ Jesus, would abide and meditate before God the Father forever that the Messiah would forever be before God, making intercession for his children given to him by the Father. Because Christ lives, all those given to him shall also live. It should also be noted that throughout the psalm, there is one thing that David does not request of God. That is, he does not request that God would remove the trouble or threat that he faces. He does not ask for a strong fortified castle to protect him, But what he prays for is that God would prepare for David's and for David's preservation, God's love and faithfulness towards David. In verse 8, David somewhat cheerfully vows his grateful return of duty to God. God's preservation of David calls upon David to praise God. And so it should be for us to praise God for our deliverance. Should we, as David did, make praising of God the work of our time? Should not our hope be like David's, that this work would be ours for eternity, praising God forever? Praising God and paying our vows to God must be our daily work. This work is but a little in comparison to what is due for our deliverance and the daily mercies that we receive. 
Also, our vows to praise, praise God must be performed conscientiously. They should not be performed in an absent-minded routine matter, but they should be done with a specific intent in mind. They need to be performed with an intent of praising God as our duty. For if we will not daily praise God as displayed by David in this life, we surely cannot expect that we would be able to do it eternally in heaven. So we've seen what kind of example David has provided and responded to trials and troubles. And so I want to spend the remainder of my time discussing some application that we can leave here with. We have seen that David has placed his faith in the Lord and that faith guided him in his time of trouble. We have also seen that David's faith allowed him to look beyond his present life and circumstances to what eternity had in store for him. So here's a question that I pose to you this morning. Are you sitting here this morning either facing or having faced some difficulty in your life? Do you anticipate that before your pilgrimage in this life is over that you probably will face some difficulty? Do you look at potential future troubles happening not so much as if, but more like when? So I recently had an opportunity to meet with uh, several gentlemen that I worked with on the police department for over 20 years. And the reason we had gathered together was to visit uh, with another gentleman that we had worked with um, who is uh, gravely ill. Um, Wayne, this gentleman, in his early 20s, um, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. After about a year of, of intensive radiation treatment, he was able to recover from that. But one of the things that he was told at the time when, when he finished his treatment um, was that because of the extensive radiation he received, that there were possible um, side effects that may uh, happen, and one of those has come home to roost for him, and that he was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. So while we were together that day at Wayne's house, Wayne was, was pretty frank. He said, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm more concerned about what's going to happen with my family. So one of the guys that was there that day, and it was a shock for me to, 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 to hear this, because after he had retired, um, he had rediscovered his, his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and you could tell just by the way he, he, he presented himself. But he made a statement that day that when he made it, all of us kind of nodded our head in agreement. So he said, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a circumstance like Wayne without his faith in Christ. He said that if he did not have his faith, he could not see any hope at all. And we all had to agree with him. So a similar tone comes from Psalm 61. David, because of his faith, he had hope. He had assurance of God's mercy upon him and faith in his spending eternity in God's heavenly tabernacle. Another application that we can draw from this psalm is that it can also help us as we pray for others that may be experiencing troubling times. For someone we know as a believing Christian, we can pray that they would be able to respond as David has in this psalm, that they would seek out the Lord for comfort and assurance of hope. And if you're praying for someone you're not sure of their faith or if they're a non-believer, 
We can pray that in this time of trouble, that it might be used by God to draw this person unto himself and cause them to receive the gift, the gift of faith in Christ as their hearts are softened. <coughs> so for a believing Christian, David provides an example and hopefully some motivation for them in times of difficulty. So I pray that those of you who are gathered here this morning, who are of the Church of Christ, that you would leave here encouraged and assured by the words of the psalm. If, however, you are sitting here without such assurance because you have no faith in Jesus Christ, I pray and I encourage you to examine yourselves, especially if you are experiencing or have experienced troubled times. Examine what it is that might keep you from having faith in Christ. Examine what it is that you have placed your hope in and how that compares to the words of David that we have read today. Examine yourself to see if you have the assurance of deliverance that David displayed. If not, I encourage you to seek it out. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, the God who David <laughs> believed in and served, we ask that this day the words of David in your scripture would be planted in our hearts and that they would take root so that we might be able to respond in faith in those times of troubles and also in those times of peace. In the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.